and welcome back to Porson Peak, the strange and scary podcast that covers everything from horror to sci-fi and all of the Avengers pregame stuff in between. I am one of your hosts, John, and my perennial co-host is... Anthony Perez. Yeah, we up in here on our Avengers April Part 1. Uh, there's going to be a three-part segment. Uh, it's not going to work necessarily in phases. It's going to be kind of similar to that, but we are watching these movies in chronological story order. Technically, even though it's a Phase 3 movie, Captain Marvel would be included in this section because it is in that flow of the storyline. And we're barely going to touch on Captain Marvel because... We, we have already talked about it at length. <laughs> right. Full episode on that. So go back and listen. Yeah, it was like three seconds ago. <laughs> but before we get into all of the crazy Avengers stuff, we're going to dive into some news. News! Some of the biggest stuff that has come out this week, one being the trailer for the new Joker movie just called Joker. Looks real weird. Not sure what we're getting. It seems like it might be a comedy, but a very dark comedy if that. And it's by Todd Phillips. Famous for The Hangover in a little bit different direction for him, I would say. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix seems creepy in the trailer, but I honestly don't know what to think about it. It seems so different from any previous iteration of the Joker, which I don't mind. If this turns out great, great. The Joker is in my top five comic book characters of all time, and it's for a reason. It's because of the different ways he's been portrayed in print and in video games and in television shows and in movies over the course of the last you know billion years. So we'll see how it turns out. I'm excited to see if it's something new and original. Uh, I just hope it's not something that's you know throwaway. Right, and it seems like it's gonna be more of a Joker origin, and maybe toward the end we're gonna see him fully become the Joker that we know today. But speaking of the Joker, <laughs> someone who is famous for doing one of the best voices of the joker mark hamill we can just go ahead and say the best voice for the joker <laughs> yeah sure and one of the best jokers i guess then in general is gonna mark hamill is gonna be the new voice of chucky so we talked about this at length as soon as we saw it i saw it around the same time that that anthony did and he sent me a text he's like hey did you see uh what they announced for chucky and i was like i was literally about to take a screenshot of the same thing and send it to you <laughs> like at the that exact moment i'd already taken the screenshot this is an incredible casting i don't know how it will stack up to the original uh, portrayals of the character but i do know that mark hamill can put in an incredible performance i mean if your career runs the gamut of Luke Skywalker all the way to the best and most well-known version of the Joker, I think you've got a lot of bases covered. Right, and I was originally worried that whoever they were going to get wasn't going to be able to even come close to Brad Dorif. But then when I saw this announcement, I was like, well, I didn't think of that. I'm on board for it. Definitely. And by the time that we are recording this, the new Twilight Zone has come out, and John and I watched the first episode together coincidentally the comedian <laughs> this apparently is our theme for news this yeah. week 
And I almost stood up cheering when they showed Jordan Peele do the Rod Serling narration in the episode. And by the end of it, honestly, I wanted to cry a little bit because I was so into it. Yeah, it was intense and it was chilling. and It was very weird. And it felt like a modern day Twilight Zone episode. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like Black Mirror, which is what I thought it was going to be more or less like. But we'll save Twilight Zone discussion for another episode. It's out. Check it out. I think if you're fans of the original, you'll like it. And if you're not, then you still might like it because it's really good. Yeah, I have a sneaking suspicion that when it's all said and done, we'll sit down and we'll talk about the season as a whole once it's all completed and wrapped up. I think that's probably going to be it for, for news this week. Yeah, there are some some odds and end trailers and stuff. I guess there's going to be a new Annabelle movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And the trailer didn't look great, but we'll see. It has the Warrens in it again, which I've made my opinions known about the Warrens. But uh, their portrayal in the Conjuring universe, I feel like, is very well done. And I think that they're an interesting character study. So it'll be interesting to see how this turns out. This is going to be a little more home base for them. It's going to be actually based around the Warrens Museum of Oddities that they have at their house. We'll see how it turns out. I will probably see it. Uh, the trailer just doesn't look as appealing as some of the previous trailers in this series. Then that's going to be it for news for sure this time. And then we'll go ahead and jump into some of that trivia. Trivia. <laughs> All right, the first category is going to be Monster. In what country is protagonist Rob preparing to relocate at the start of Cloverfield? The United States? He is moving to Japan. Ah, uh, Japan. It's the been slush a show. It's been a long time since I've seen Cloverfield. Uh, what actor played Thomas, the adult companion of Abby, in Let Me In 2010? Dimitri Kyriotis or something. No, it's uh, Richard Jenkins. I don't know what the fuck I'm thinking then. Let's move on quickly. Gore slash disturbing is the next category. The film Cannibal Holocaust from 1980 made use of what style of filmmaking? Black and white? It is found footage. Found footage, okay. Uh, who directed the Grindhouse fake trailer for Werewolf Women of the SS? <laughs> I got no idea. Uh, Eli Roth. Uh, it's Rob Zombie, so close oh, really? enough. <laughs> Well, I know he did one. He did a Thanksgiving one, didn't he? Mm -hmm. All right. Fuck, dude. We're not crushing it today. I don't think either of us are in a in a good trivia headspace. <laughs> All right. Next category is psychological. What is the name of the fictional preserve in which the titular settlement of the village is set? Is it Providence? It is the Walker Wildlife Preserve. Oh. In the climactic pool scene. The titular entity of It Follows uses what form to attack Jay? An old lady. That's previous scene. Uh, it's uh, her dad. Oh, shit. That's right. All right. Fuck, dude. This is the worst we've ever done. All right. Here we go for Paranormal. And Mama from 2013. For how many years are Victoria and Lily missing? Eight? It is five. I wasn't that far off. For, no. for a, a complete shot in the dark guess. In the Omen, nineteen seventy-six, for what country is Richard Thorne the ambassador to Great Britain? America. 
Yeah. United States. <laughs> Killer category. What is the name of the criminal who becomes Chucky in the Child's Play series from 1988 to 2017? I don't know the last name. Ah, it's not coming to me. It's Charles Fuck. Charles Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that is not, dude. That is Charles Lee Ray. Yeah, okay, all right. What character in Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, has telekinetic powers? It's the final girl. Her name is Jenny. Is, is, she, is she from the block? <laughs> uh, it's Tina Shepard. <laughs> All right. Well, here we go. Last one. International. What medical procedure does La Femme try to perform using scissors in Inside from 2007? Castration? That's also gruesome, but it is a C-section. Ah, fun. <laughs> in what world? <laughs> trying to hammer out this trivia man what gender is the vengeful spirit and jew on it's a female mm -hmm. sick and i win with one <laughs> all right that's gonna be it for trivia if you are into hearing a bunch of dudes miss a bunch of questions about shit they should know about then go <laughs> ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of it we are going to jump right into our Avengers April festivities. All right. First up on the list, going in chronological order, will obviously be Captain America, the first Avenger. First is in the title. It's obviously who we're talking about here. This one is, of Phase 1 movies, is one of my personal favorites. I know that there are a lot of people who don't like certain aspects about the film, and it's not a perfect movie, and there are definitely better movies in the MCU. But I do enjoy this as an origin film, and I feel like it sets up Steve Rogers in the perfect way. For me, it's my least favorite of the three Captain America movies. That's, that's, that's I would definitely 100% agree with that. It feels like the formula for Marvel origin stories that we've gotten with almost all of them. It's very much, you know, we have a guy, he fights the worst version of himself. I enjoy the movie. It's still good. And I like that it's a period piece because we don't get a ton of that with the other with the other movies in the franchise outside of what Captain Marvel at this point. Yeah. And so and, and that's not really that far off. So I like that aspect of it a lot, but outside of that, it's pretty straightforward for an origin story. But what you're saying about setting up Steve Rogers, a lot of people were worried that Chris Evans wasn't going to be able to handle the role since he was most known for not another teen movie at that point, right? I think he's great. Yeah, he's he, probably my favorite character. Definitely. Uh, he is my favorite Marvel character. I feel like there are certain parts of me that relate to Steve Rogers and there are certain parts of me that wish I could emulate Steve Rogers in, in my life, you know, be a little more altruistic, be a little more outgoing and a little more protective of the people that I care about. I feel like those are great qualities that anybody could possess. And I feel like being able to present those on screen and doing them with conviction and doing them justice is definitely appreciated. Like I said, there are a lot of, downfalls to the origin story movies and i think that that's where phase one kind of falls flat and we'll talk about that as we move through all these movies is when you go through those origin stories you have to you have to set it up with a good foil and you have to you know do all these things in order to make the characters 
foundations built properly. And in some cases, they don't pull that off. And when they don't pull it off, it makes the movies almost unwatchable. Captain America does not have that problem. They picked a person who, who played the role very well. The story is serviceable. It's definitely one of the more interesting stories because it has that veneer. It has that extra thing of being a period piece and being a war drama as compared to some of the other movies that may not have as good an extra thing. But yeah, I, like I said, I enjoyed the performances. The banter between Peggy Carter and Steve Rogers was probably one of my favorite romances throughout the entirety of MCU. I feel like it's the most deserved, and I feel like they had the best chemistry. And the way that they keep it going throughout the franchise, and we're jumping a little ahead with that, is kind of heartbreaking. Definitely. And it's, it's beautiful, really. What I liked about Steve Rogers or Captain America, and we talked a little bit about it with Captain Marvel and mentioned him specifically, is that he does stuff because it's right. Yes. Not just because he's part of like the American military or because it's what someone told him to do. So we get to see that, especially in some of the later ones where he's doing what he thinks is right yes. versus what he's told or what the government wants him to do. He's following his uh, himself. Exactly. And I, I know that, that there are some parts of Steve Rogers that can be considered, you know, faults, especially previous to him getting, you know, his enhancements, he does have a knack for getting himself into trouble or like seeking out trouble rather than letting letting trouble happen. I feel like that's a theme that does carry throughout his arc of him basically trying to make the trouble in in certain situations rather than just letting things unfold. Right, and I don't think that as far as villains go that Red Skull is very interesting. I felt like it was portrayed well. But it's just it's a a Hitler foil. It really is. It's it's just meant to be the exact opposite of what he is, and that's a theme that you're going to see throughout this entire franchise. Uh, I mean, we'll dig into that a lot more when we get into Iron Man one and two. Yeah, (laughs) there are a lot of villains that are basically just the counterpart, and even in certain situations where you get a really great villain. I mean, we'll talk about a lot of that when we get into phase three. A lot of the times, they're still just somebody who is just a foil of your of your protagonist, which is a little lazy. But I think that there are going to be more villains as we get along that are also going to break some of those molds and those traditions. Uh, I mean, the biggest one being Thanos. Thanos right. doesn't have an equal. No, if he does, it's all of them together. Exactly. You know what I mean? And some people think Thanos is a hero. <laughs> so. I, like I said, I mean, we're... I think that we we may need to allot a little additional time for Infinity War specifically because that one's going to be a lot one, a lot to talk about. But Captain America, it's a good start. We can move on to the move on to the next movie, which is going to be the movie that started it all. Should we do like out of five shields what we give it, and we'll do that through the whole all of them? I'm down for that. So this one, I'm going to go ahead and give this a three and a half out of five shields. I feel like it's a good start. It's a good film. If it's anytime it's on, I will watch it. It's not perfect. And I feel like some of those four and five shield performances are later in Captain America's career. I'm going to actually agree with that. I would say 70%. So I'll give it three and a half shields. <laughs> <laughs> That's right out there. Yeah. Because it's, it's good, but it's not great. But it's enjoyable, like you were saying. Yeah. All right. So then 
let's go ahead and jump into the next one chronologically, which would be Captain Marvel. So we're not going to talk a ton about this. We did a whole episode, what, three, four episodes ago. It's one of our bonuses that we had with the female perspective. So we both really liked this movie. We thought it was good. Another origin movie. But it did have the benefit of being an origin movie that came after them making a lot of mistakes in phase one. So being put into this lineup, it definitely stands out as a as a post Avengers movie in a in a situation where Disney's gotten a little more of the controls and they bring a different level of polish than Paramount did. Paramount did the majority of phase one and part of phase two. And there's a certain level of polish when Disney took over that I feel like is definitely appreciated on my end. So for Captain Marvel, I'm going to say, I think I'm going to still give it a 3.5 shields. Yeah, I think I would definitely agree. It's it's on par with Captain America for me. It's a good setup for that character. And I hope that they continue to do great things with that character, similar to what they've done for Steve Rogers. All right. So then the next one is going to be Iron Man. Yeah. From what I understand, still the best rated movie in the MCU. It's like at a 98%, I think, on Rotten. Yeah, it, it may be a, a higher rated movie for sure. I think part of that is going to be is that none of these movies existed before Iron Man. So the comparison points were the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Iron Man came out in 2008, and I think it was 2007 when uh, Spider-Man 3 came out. And so the comparison points you had were things like Batman Begins, and then you had the X-Men movies, which some of, you know, it's a mixed bag, and then the Fantastic Four movies, which are widely considered to be very bad. All of them. Yes. (laughs) So, previous to that, there hadn't really been a love letter to the comics type comic book movie that had really been out. Sam Raimi put his own spin on Spider-Man, and you get a different experience with that. It feels more like a Sam Raimi movie with Spider-Man in it then it feels like a love letter to Spider-Man fans. It's and like I, a comic book on film where these are, Iron Man at least, is a movie. It's a grounded story kind of piggybacking off what Batman Begins and what the Dark Knight franchise ended up doing and making it a grounded, realistic story that is kind of relatable. Mm-hmm. And Iron Man isn't a character that I feel like was in the forefront of people's minds before this came out, and now people love Iron Man. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, it's not one of the characters that people go to, like, oh, I like Superman, or I like Batman, or I like The Flash. I don't know why I named all DC characters, but... <laughs> or I like Spider-Man, you know what I yeah. mean? And so they took Iron Man, and they made him the star. Really. Well, well, I mean, and, and to say they took him, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. took him. There will be no other Tony Stark. I mean, he perfectly encapsulates that character. There's, you know, the level of cockiness and the over-the-top, you know, one-liners and and gestures and the way that he's quickly able to move between kind of that, that playboy lifestyle and then move back to, you know, sitting down and doing crazy experiments and, and trying to create something new. I feel like Tony Stark is Robert Downey Jr. That's just how it is. They're they're not separable at this point. That's a big feat, especially coming out of nowhere for a character that people don't recognize or understand. I mean, he he was a part of the Avengers, and he was a part of his own line of comics, but Iron Man was never that forefront character. You know, when it came to Marvel, it was always X-Men. It's always Spider-Man. 
uh, Captain America to an extent, but it was never a tentpole. He was just a part of the Avengers. And now, after this movie and after looking at Civil War, the comic series, he has gained a notoriety that's definitely appreciated. Part of what makes it so good, too, is that you get to see Tony B kind of shitty and then slowly evolve. So the character development is really good and and it's earned too, because you understand that he is rich and arrogant and a little bit ignorant too, of to what he's doing Yes, and kind of not paying attention to where his company is spreading out to. And then you get to see him realize that and kind of still be a dick in a way, but become a better person through it. He doesn't lose track of who he is. He just becomes a better version of himself, if that makes sense. Yes. Uh, Tony Stark has the best and most interesting arc out of all of the Marvel characters in the MCU, period. He's not inherently good. Exactly. It's like something Rogers where, is just good. Yes. There's no, there's no real arc. You get Steve Rogers. Even in his conflicts, he's still Steve Rogers. He still sticks by how he feels. And Tony Stark had to learn. And I feel like it makes him inherently more watchable in some situations. I also really like Jeff Bridges' performance. I thought he was good, and I liked Pepper. I thought everybody was cast very well. I don't really love the giant CGI battle, and this one does fall into some of the pitfalls of you have Tony in the Iron Man suit, and then you have Obadiah. Obadiah staying in the Iron Monger suit, yeah. Right, and again, it's a CGI battle between our character and then a bigger version of that character. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, that's, that's going to be a theme that you'll see in the majority of the origin stories, even some of the secondary ones. I mean, we'll, we're going to talk about Iron Man two here in a minute and it's the same worse, but the same <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Bridges was fine as Obadiah saying, I felt like he was an enjoyable character to watch and he had some legitimate motivations, but considering this was the start of, of everything for the MCU. I feel like this started the bad villain trope that Marvel had to deal with for a long time off on a bad foot. I thought he was good. Like you were saying with motivations, I think that was my biggest complaint with him is that why does he want to get rid of Tony? He's doing what he wants with the weapons, right? And Tony's none the wiser until later on in the movie when he tries to kill him. If he wanted to try to kill him, then Tony probably wouldn't have found out. And then... He's got money. He's got power. He's basically the second in command, right? Mm. So I didn't really understand his motivation for wanting Tony completely out of the picture, like dead. Credit. He wants to be the person whose name is on everything. He wants to be able to say, you know, Stark Industries by Obadiah Stane. It's it's a ego trip. Yeah, it's that's all. It's all it is. It's really just an, an egomaniacal person who wants to be the solo person in the sun. And I feel like that's a little weak. It's a understandable motivation, but it's still not a, not like a ironclad motivation. I do like the, do you like that pun? I did not. <laughs> I do like that. There's this sort of military and not, not even undertone, but it's at the forefront really mm -hmm. of this story where both sides are bad. Right, And both sides have their own motivations. And I feel like it came out at a time, at least with the country, where we were kind of... Divided. Yeah, and realizing that conflict that, yeah, there's bad people over there, but there's also bad people over here. 
and there's good people here too and there's good people over there over there like the eastern world i guess if you want to say that mm. versus the western world and so it kind of toys with that idea so i think that is part of why people gravitated toward this and we get some of it with the last star wars movie too where benicio del toro's character like make makes weapons for yeah. the good guys and the bad guys like it's coming from both sides yes you know what i mean and that movie plays with this idea of what 10 years ago Going back to kind of, like I said, the the overarching theme of a lot of these discussions will be kind of the sub-themes and the subplots that exist in this movie. For me, this one is more of like a modern war drama, uh, obviously mixed with comedy, uh, but also kind of like a corporate espionage. You get a lot of those traits from the Iron Man movies in general just because, you know, he's a very successful man and he owns a very successful business. Uh, having that kind of that corporate extra part gives a little more flavor to Iron Man. And I feel like that's another reason why it's so widely accepted. Part of what I liked too about this, and we're going to talk about how I don't like it in a lot of the other movies, is the comedy isn't at weird spots. Mm -hmm. It's well-placed and it's not over the top and they're not looking to the camera to get their audience applause or whatever. Yeah. This one is done just right, and it's written well to where it's more or less Robert Downey Jr. doing it, and it doesn't feel off. It fits within the context of the movie, and it's not so out of left field that it pulls you out of it. Another thing that this movie does well as compared to another movie we're going to talk about in two movies is Dutch Angles. Um, when Dutch Angles are abused, I cannot stand them. In this movie, they weren't abused. They were put in appropriate places. That moment where you start to see kind of the wheels turn and you see basically Obadiah Stane making his move to finally take over. And you just see the camera like slowly shift to just see that he's like, he is the, he is the villain. It's a good reveal and it's a great place for that interesting camera work. Uh, whereas in two movies, we will discuss one that needs to stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's probably good for Iron Man. Yeah. Let's talk about the next one, which is well, going to be. we need to give it a score. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, I mean, this movie is still, it's still good. Yes. And I think that the only reason time wasn't kind to it is because now we get other origin stories. So it is comparable to those now. Yes. So. If I had to give it a score, I would say four and a half shields. I'm going to say four. Four even. I mean, I, I feel like it's a great movie, and it was a great starting point for Iron Man. Like I said, there are definitely things that could have been could have been done better, and I feel like Tony Stark definitely works better as a in a group narrative as somebody to be like an internal foil for Steve Rogers, and his arc starts in a great place here, and I feel like all the way through to Infinity War, he has the best arc. So now we'll go to Iron Man 2. Yes. Iron Man 2 is fine. I don't really know. <laughs> there are a lot of things that I that I uh, don't like about Iron Man 2. I don't like Pepper in this one because she's not in the forefront like she is in mm. Iron Man 1. And she doesn't really do anything. Where yes. She's strong in the first one and is there to help Tony and push him to be better and push him through stuff. She's just kind of there in the second one. I feel like it doesn't feel like because she doesn't get a lot of screen time, she doesn't bring the same level of like charis like charismatic performance as she does in Iron Man one. And I don't know where they were going with 
like their like relationship and romance and everything. Because I mean, at this point we already knew that they were, they were looking to hook things up and everything. And this was kind of more like the will they won't they territory, but you don't really start to get any legitimate progression from Pepper at all until the final act. And that's too late for a character that you're going to spend probably a quarter of your movie with. There are plenty of things wrong with this movie for sure. I mean, Mickey Rourke is just abysmal. Yeah, his accent's bad. Yeah, he's he's all like, and the way that that character is set up is almost unwatchable in times. Want my board? Uh, it's just it's ridiculous. Like a skateboard. Yeah. <laughs> board. Surfboard. Board. <laughs> Give me board. <laughs> he's supposed to be your main villain. He's supposed to be the, the main guy you're rooting against, and I don't feel like he does enough when he's on screen to grab that attention. Neither him nor Rockwell really do. Yes. I, but I think if if we would been given more of an opportunity with the Justin Hammer character, I feel like Sam Rockwell had a better performance. I understand that that they kind of use you know Hammer as a punchline in a lot of situations because he is like the guy who wishes he was Tony Stark. Misplaced comedy. Uh, this definitely has more issues with putting comedy in the wrong places. You know, conversations with your villains shouldn't be filled with comedic situations. It got sequelitis. They tried to do more of what they did without focusing on what was good about Iron Man. They just upped the ante. I will say the inclusion of Don Cheadle as as War Machine, as uh, as Colonel Rhodes, uh, I definitely preferred him to Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard just didn't seem like he wanted to be an Iron Man 1. Uh, whereas Don... I don't feel like we got enough. You know, I think it's hard to say because he was used so little that even if Don Cheadle would have been that character, I think it would have been, or that Rhodes in the first one, mm-hmm. I think it would have been the same. Yes. But I feel like if Terrence Howard kept going, then he would have developed more. Because Terrence Howard's a good actor. Yes, yes. They both are. And so I, I don't know if that's fair. But Don Cheadle is excellent in this movie. Right. And the, the back and forth that you get between uh, Stark and Rhodes is great. The their little fight when Tony's drunk on his birthday is a, an excellent scene, and it's one of those situations where a character is like the name of the character is brought up in kind of just like a random passing before they have been given that name, and I feel like this is one of the ones where it doesn't feel like it was just ham fisted in there, and it felt more like real dialogue. The you know, come on, do you want to be the war machine? That comment doesn't feel as over the top as the one from Iron Man one, where they're talking about the uh, being an iron monger. That one, you're just like, come on, please <laughs> they threw it in because I needed to give him a name. I mean, yeah, it's fine. I don't, it's not my f- favorite. It's probably not even top 10 for me. So if I had to give it a rating, I'd probably say three shields tops. I'm, I'm leaning more towards 2.5. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a flat 50 for me. I Like I said, it's a movie that I'm not mad that I've seen. Uh, I didn't see it in theaters, and I'm glad that I didn't waste money seeing it in theaters. There's just so many other directions they could have taken it. Because of this movie, we didn't get a legitimately good Iron Man story until we got to Avengers. What's weird about Iron Man 2 is that Tony has a high-tech, transparent, multi-device integrated hologram system that he doesn't try to mainstream. But that seems like a solid, safe pivot for a company that's not doing weapons anymore. Like, that's that's actually really true. Like, what are they, what's their revenue now that they're not making weapons? 
we never get any instance of that except yeah. that he's Tony Stark. You know what I mean? All right. So next on the list, we've been hinting a lot about some of its shortcomings, but we'll dig into all of that. Thor. I feel like of the origin movies, this is probably my least favorite. They casted it. They casted a good actor. I feel like Chris Hemsworth is more than capable of taking up the task. I feel like they didn't understand that gap they were trying to bridge in order to make their subplot of a fantasy movie work. It needed to be more grounded in fantasy lore than it was. The moment we make it to New Mexico and we get into the actual plotline of the story on Earth, it just feels flat. And I think that a lot of that's going to have to do with the script. Once they once they make it to Earth, the interactions between the characters there, I don't feel like they stand up. I I was legitimately interested in the Asgard sections because... They did a fantastic job of making Asgard look awesome. Right. And I think that's where Kenneth Branagh shines yes. is the Asgardian stuff. Because of his Shakespearean background, I feel like he was able to bring Asgard to life more than he was able to do the behind-the-camera work in New Mexico. Yes. Like I said, the, all of the New Mexico scenes are just – they're bland. Nothing really stands out or is interesting. And – Natalie Portman and Kat Dennings are not very entertaining characters. <laughs> uh, I feel like Eric Selvig is is perfectly entertaining. I feel like uh, Stellan Skarsgård is doing a good job. He's still technically still kicking around. He's been, you know, the last few times that Thor has been in things, he's been involved in some way, shape, or form outside of his involvement with just the Thor movies. Uh, I'll be interested to see if we get any any new information about his storyline when we start to get into these newer movies. Right, and he wasn't a villain, so that's yeah. cool. <laughs> what I thought was week two, I guess, is that Thor's redemption at the end doesn't really feel earned. He gets banished, right? And then he go, he's on Earth, and he just chills with Natalie Portman, and then fights his brother, and then it's all good. Just felt a little forced. Well, I mean, I think it was more the sacrifice that... Caused him to be able to get the hammer again. I don't know. Like, but what sacrifice? Because I mean, it's not like he really he died. Like, yeah, he put himself in the line of fire, but he's still Thor. <laughs> he's still a god, you know. Right. Uh, yeah, that was weak for me. But one thing that I will do is I don't want to just bash on the movie. Mm. Is we get a villain who is a very interesting villain in Loki. Yes. And he's so interesting that they kept him around as the villain for the next few movies. I mean, and it's tough to even say. That Loki is 100% a villain. That's how interesting his character is. That's You don't get a quality like that from a character in the entire Marvel Universe until you get to Eric Killmonger and Black Panther, where the motivations are so so on point that you can't tell. You The line is blurry. Like, in, in some days, you may agree with this person and their more radical beliefs. He's um, the first villain I feel like we get to see their internal conflict. Yes. There's no internal conflict with Obadiah, you know, and there's no internal conflict with Red Skull. Yes. We get the conflicts from the heroes, and Loki, we get his conflict. Yes. And like you were saying with Killmonger, we get his conflict too. And so I think that's what makes those villains work and stand out. But yeah, and I feel like, like I said, I feel like the casting for, for your protagonist and your antagonist, I feel like those were perfect. Chris Hemsworth is 
a beautiful man, and it makes perfect sense that he is considered to be, you know, a a golden god. <laughs> and uh, Tom Hiddleston puts in a great performance, and this is just one of many for him in this in this franchise. The other villain of the movie that I don't feel like people mention a lot is uh, Thor's eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you mean that? Uh, and his blonde beard? <laughs> <laughs> Those things are wild. <laughs> we mentioned a little bit about Dutch angles in Iron Man. And I will let you take this one because I know you have a very strong opinion about the Dutch angles in Thor. I don't know what Brana was thinking because every scene is at some sort of tilt and angle. Not just in New Mexico. It happens in Asgard too. It For whatever reason, everybody's filmed on a slope and he's on record as saying that it's because it's supposed to make it look more like comic book panels, but I don't see it. I just see us switching from random angles all over the place, but the camera's never, you know, flat plane and it's difficult to deal with in more than one way. It's difficult to look at it and not get sick to your stomach, just going back and forth all over the place and not in a way where you can, follow it and it's got like a cohesive flow to it uh but also it's just annoying you can't it's almost like you feel like you can't get your bearings i think part of it too is that we come from a horror more or less background and the dutch angle is used a lot in those films to signify something scary or intensity is going on like with the scene with obadiah and tony in his house in Iron Man 1, where it's like, oh, this big villain reveal, and he's towering over him. Yes. And it's not used a ton, and so it works. It's poignant, you know what I mean? And it's subtle. Right. And then this is just all over the place, and it seems like they're using it to create an intensity that's not there. So the way the Dutch angle is supposed to be used is in order to like signify that something is not what it seems, or something is being twisted or distorted. And... I don't think even like the first scene of Thor where they're in New Mexico and they see like him drop from the sky and they hit him with the van or whatever. Like as they're just getting out of the van to look at the stars, for whatever reason, it looks up at Selvig and it looks up at Natalie Portman and they're both Dutch angled in different directions. And that's the whole of this movie. It does not stop. It's like I said, it's disorienting. I hate it. (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, if you had to give it a shield rating. I'm going to say this is a two for me. I think I'm going to go two. Two. Yeah. It's like I said, it, there are enjoyable moments, but it's just, it's, it's one of, it's one of the worst movies, but it's not the very worst. We'll get to that later. <laughs> it's fine. And it's a good enough introduction to the Thor world. So the next is going to be the Incredible Hulk. Before we hark on some of the negative qualities of the Hulk, <laughs> There's stuff about this movie that I enjoyed a lot. And I think part of that is it's a Marvel movie before Disney. So kind of with Iron Man, it's a little bit more grounded with character, at least at the beginning. Yeah. Obviously, toward the end, it becomes a CGI smash fest. But it's it's grounded. The performances from everybody are good. I know you're not a huge fan of Liv Tyler whispering throughout the whole thing. But, <laughs> but Ed Norton does a great job, I think. And I really like that. And we get to see this kind of struggle with him and it's not really about the hulk at this point and it's more about bruce yeah you know and i really like that and i thought that the opening was really good too where we get 
all of the gamma radiation stuff done in the opening credits. So we, that's not part of the story. We get to just jump into the story. Then that first reveal of him as the Hulk, it sort of harks back to the old Universal monster movies, at least for me, where it's his eyes, you know, and then we see a foot and it's these guys getting destroyed in this dark factory. And it's it's a little bit scary. Yeah. You know, it is like a superhero movie meets a monster movie. And we don't get the full Hulk. And so, you know, it teases us just a little bit here, just a little bit there, just a little bit there. And it builds your anticipation of what he's going to be and what he's going to look like. That's definitely the subplot as far as this movie is concerned is that monster movie type deal. Uh, It reminds me a lot of Frankenstein as far as the way that like, you know, he's the creation of an experiment gone wrong. Right, a scientist, a yes. brooding creature. You know what I mean? Like it's it is a monster movie. It's just like you're saying. It's it's Frankenstein. He's green. <laughs> well, well, I mean, it's Frankenstein, and it's also literally just Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. It's the same thing. And when you get this duality within all these people, you know, you get it with Liv Tyler, where she's like, "I'm in love with who? Who do yeah. I love? Do I want this simple life, or do I want to go with this monster?" And so again, I think that harks back to the universal stuff where you get a woman in love with a monster. And so for me, that really worked and I thought it was interesting. And like you were saying, it's, it's this sub genre that's buried in rat with Marvel wrapped around it. So there are a lot of loose ends that are left from this movie. Betty Ross is not mentioned after this point, even though her father continues on to be bigger parts of the storylines. Like, with Civil War, he's a big part of the Sokovia Accords. We'll talk about a lot of that later. But he is still involved in the story, even in situations where he might actually have to deal with Bruce Banner. It's like, you know your daughter is in love with this guy. Like, where's, like, the the worry about any of that? Right, and, and this one feels the most disconnected from the MCU than any other movie mm. because they're, oh, yeah, that's part of it. That's the Hulk. But nothing really connects outside of him. Yeah. Really. Because we don't even have the same actor. And we get none of that really mentioned in any other movies like Betty. And then just her dad pops up here and there is really the only connection to the Incredible Hulk that remains. But even in other sections where there kind of been loose ends left, his rogues gallery is completely missing. Uh, Obviously, Abomination doesn't make it through the end of this movie. But you do have... Uh, Dr. Sam Stearns, who basically is being set up to be another villain later down the line. And we don't get any mention of him until like, it's like an Avengers age of Ultron tie in comic. And that's not enough for a character that would probably work pretty well if done properly. They just, at this point, because of how unsuccessful the incredible Hulk was as compared to the rest of the MCU, it's just like, it's a chance they just don't want to take, I guess. Again, a pitfall of this one is going to be one that we have mentioned for some of these, too, is that it becomes the main villain is a foil of the hero, and it's just a bigger, meaner version of the Hulk. Abomination is just a giant, I guess, brown Hulk. Tim Roth's performance as a soldier I thought was great, but once we get into a CGI monster fighting a CGI monster, it just kind of loses it. Yeah, there's just not a lot of not a lot of value in that. And there are different like there are different ways to make it work. Be, I mean, like I said, we're going to get into one of the biggest ones here here in a minute uh with Avengers. 
But in this movie, the CGI wasn't done well enough to have the last part of your movie be a huge CGI set piece. Right. Except once it was done really well. Yeah. With Liv Tyler and the Hulk in, in like the, in cave, the cave scene. Yeah. Right. It looks great. And if they would have carried that over, I think it would have helped bridge that gap between just fakeness. That's going to wrap it up for the Hulk. We, if I had to give it a shield, I actually enjoy this movie and I like the monster aspect of it. So I would give it a three shields out of five. I think I'm probably in a similar boat. Like I said, it's not, it's, it's an all right movie. It's not a great movie, but it's enjoyable for, you know, despite some of its major faults. And you also get a very early career performance from Ty Burrell, AKA Phil Dunphy. (laughs) But you also get, check this out. An appearance by Martin Starr, who is in college and later shows up in Homecoming as a teacher. So I think a case could be made that he was in college and then graduated and became a teacher in New York. And he is the same character. <laughs> there, there are definite, uh, definite threads to be pulled at. <laughs> All right. So let's get on to... The main event of the evening. I guess, yeah. It's 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 weird because nothing like this had been done before. Obviously, we're talking about the Avengers. Yes. <laughs> and it, I, I don't know. It just, at the time, was something new and crazy. And I was excited because they had built this massive thing, you know? Obviously, we're flooded with it now. Yes. Not to say that it's been bad because you know, we're going to give you our opinion on Infinity War and eventually Endgame. And... Those are probably going to be positive. I obviously haven't seen Endgame yet. But just the fact that they were able to do this and actually build it and do it right. And we've seen a similar franchise fail at the same feat. And, I mean, Avengers is good. And it's such a grand scale as compared to the previous or origin story movies. And there are a a lot of characters that don't get as much credit for being as good a part of this movie as they are. Uh, at this point, you've seen him a handful of times, you know, for a few minutes here and a few minutes there, but this is the first movie where Nick Fury really shines. Having Samuel Jackson bring in that performance and be almost the focal point and the centerpiece of the story, aside from your, you know, your costumed heroes. And Nick Fury is just an interesting character. Like at this point in the story, I mean, we you know now that Captain Marvel is in the fold, we know what happened to his eye and all that other stuff. We talked about that at length <laughs> during the Captain Marvel review, but he's just got a level of mystery about him and you don't know what he's capable of. You don't know how much power he really has, but he seems really powerful in a, I, I came up the ranks and I earned the power kind of way, not like a. I made something and now I have this power that I didn't earn. And we get pieces of his story throughout this entire MCU. Yes. And it's really good. What I really liked about this movie was basically everything until the third act. The third act for me is where this movie is the weakest. When they get to New York, that's where I kind of started to pull out of it. But some other good stuff. And I'll I'll talk a little bit about it more when we get down the road to it. Some other good stuff I really liked was Loki's performance again. Mm -hmm. He's the main villain. And he gives that speech to Black Widow about her past. And it's so intense and so emotional when he's kind of locked in that cage. I really liked that, too. I thought the performances all around were good. And we finally, since we're off the origin thing, we get to see these characters together. And we get to see a movie of them just being them now. Yes. You know, it's already all built. 
initially I was a little thrown off by the Hulk looking so much like Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> yeah. But then I was thinking to myself, it, if they didn't do that, it wouldn't really matter what actor was playing yeah. the character. You know what I mean? And so I think that that was, I learned to appreciate it. Yeah, it, it definitely had, uh, it took a little bit of getting used to. Uh, but I feel like Mark Ruffalo's performance is pretty great. I feel like this is a this is a more learned and subdued Bruce Banner than we get from Ed, Ed Norton. And I think that's from spending time with the other guy, you know? And some of his lines and speech just like the like talking about how like, you know, how he wanted to end things and he, you know, put a gun in his mouth and pulled the trigger and the other guy spit the bullet out. Like the, like some of those lines are some of the best, best lines in the MCU wholesale. And I feel like he was a welcomed addition. I don't know how well Edward Norton would have played with this big of a cast. He's definitely the kind of person who likes to be the center of attention. And this story, the Hulk's not really the center of attention. He is a part of a larger group. I feel like he's so out of center almost to a fault and they really underutilize him as the franchise continues. Mm -hmm. And that's probably one of my biggest complaints about the whole character. And we'll talk about it when we get to some of the later Avengers movies, but he, he becomes a joke later on, yeah. you know, and I don't really like that. Um, but that's me. But I, I like that we get, I like the idea of Hulk and Banner being more of a Jekyll and Hyde mm -hmm. versus two split personalities, which is what ends up being the case later. I like the idea that it's the same person that just can't control it versus like it's another guy. Let's talk a little bit about that third act that I mentioned. At this point, you're probably going to disagree. And I'm sure other people will disagree too. But the third act becomes a little bit slapstick. Too much comedy. And this is where I really felt the misplaced comedy aspect. There was stuff that was funny, but I don't feel like it fit the tone of the movie that they were trying to go. Cause it is a serious movie and it just felt a little bit disjointed. Like the part where the Hulk just grabs Loki, starts smashing him back and forth. And then is like puny God funny. Don't get me wrong, but doesn't really fit. And if he could do that the whole time, why the fuck didn't he do that already? Well, there were bigger fish to fry before they, before they got to that point, they were more worried about the, the Jatari. And that's widely considered to be one of like the best scenes in the MCU and the most <laughs> the most uh, like explanation you need for what the Hulk is. Uh, I definitely 100% vehemently disagree <laughs> with the opinion that it's slapstick. I, I think that it's at that point, the tension has already been kind of removed and lifted. You know, they've already closed the wormhole at this point. So, yeah. So for me, there's that. And there's a few other parts where I was like, uh, they're doing too much comedy and I don't want that right now. I want to feel the intensity of the scene because this is what we've been building to for the last, what, hour and a half, mm -hmm. two hours, you know? And and that that bogs me down throughout the rest of the franchise a lot. And I feel like that was more or less the Disney aspect of it, pulling the strings here and there. I do appreciate the comedy. There are some movies that I feel like maybe go a little too far into that realm. I don't think we'll really get to that territory for me until we get to phase three. I enjoyed so much of this movie. Like I said, it's the it's the grandest scale thing that had been done up to that point. And having all of those characters on screen and having getting to see the strings, getting to see things not work out very well at the beginning, had them not liking each other and not understanding each other, and then slowly learning how to figure it out. 
And one thing that they do very well that has so much more impact than some of these more grounded and realistic type superhero movies that you get from things like DC and all that good stuff is you get a lot of like the combos. You get like them actually working together to dispatch enemies. They they do it really well in this. They do it really well in Age of Ultron. Like the scenes where like they'll, you know, they'll pass one guy off and like they'll like they'll everybody will kind of get a hit in kind of a thing. Uh, it's it almost kind of reminds me of video games. Isn't there a scene where Iron Man shoots a beam into Cap's shield and, and like, then he redirects it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Stuff like that. They, yeah, that shit's dope. Yeah. Well, and this is for for a scene that's just basically a giant CG New York. This looks incredible. And it had that real impact type feeling. And it's one of the more original alien designs that they came up with. The Chitari look really gruesome and totally terrifying. Those giant freaking space worm whale, whatever the <laughs> fuck you want to call them. They are, they're terrifying. And just to see like them start, you know, systematically taking him down is, is pretty great. And then, in a way where it almost felt like they were trying to tie up his arc early, they have the government try to inbound a nuke to try to basically just decimate New York and call it good, and Iron Man redirects that through the wormhole. This is a another turning point for Tony Stark. Him sacrificing himself for the greater good of everyone. This brings up a lot of things and a lot of different themes that we're going to get throughout Phase 2. It's going to bring up a lot of really interesting talking points, and like I said, we'll... We'll dig into all of those as we get to that point. Obviously, he doesn't die. We still get plenty more Tony Stark. Uh, but it's like I said, it's just another piece in his storied roadmap. While I would love for this, for the entire MCU to be the story of Steve Rogers, I like I said, <laughs> it, it is definitely the story of Tony Stark, you know, first and foremost. Well, I feel like between them two, they get the most character development in this movie. Mm-hmm. You don't get much from Thor. You don't get nearly any from bruce some of the side characters yeah you get stuff obviously we lose colson which was pretty impactful Mm. but for the most part it's about the conflict between tony and captain and then the conflict between the avengers and the aliens i like that development and it sucks for people like thor or for banner that don't really get that which i guess is why they still get their own movies and i don't think we're going to be getting any more iron man or captain america movies i'm really hoping one of them dies so I I wish that they I I wish that they wouldn't I wish they would just keep making movies with them but at this point I'm interested to see where they go with everything but like I said we'll get into all of that when we get to phase three I just feel like nothing's at stake and so this is the first instance where I really felt like that they're not going to kill anybody off well and we'll talk about it as the movies go on as the phases go on where it's like well what you know no you know nothing bad's going to happen to the character so it kind of pulls you out of that universe like you know Tony wasn't going to die. Because they announced everything so far in advance. Yeah. So I was a little bit off put by that. I think this was the first time where I felt like there was really nothing at stake. And that's what I'm looking forward to with Endgame is that I'm hoping that something really is at stake. We've lost half the world, half the universe Yeah. at this point. So I really hope that they play with that and give us a punch, a gut punch. You know, like when Loki, I guess a little bit spoiler here, but when Loki died... <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then they killed Idris Elba's character, and I was like, oh, Heimdall. shit, dude. Yeah. And so they were just – that movie was just boom, dead, 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 yeah. dead. And the ending would have been fucking super impactful. Well, we'll talk about it. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah. 
you're running running on a rant there, but I know, I know. But uh, yeah, so I, I want more to be at stake, and I felt like with Avengers, you kind of feel like nothing really is, although it is a good movie. So do you want to rate this one then? Yes. This one, when it came out for me, would have been a five shield. But other things have come into the fold that have redefined what a five shield is. <laughs> I'm going to talk about a lot of them in the next episode. But this is a 4.5 for me. This is, like I said, at the time, this was the pinnacle of the things that you could get from the MCU. And then they brought in some really visionary people who uh, moved the goalposts. I would say four for me. Four yeah. shields. I guess that's going to wrap it up for phase one yeah. of Avengers April. Yeah, so um, we're going to dig in and we're going to talk about phase two next week. There's a lot of really interesting uh, films in that group and they're also it's it has in my opinion some of the best and some of the worst so if you are familiar with what exactly that's going to look like as far as the chronology goes in case you want to follow along the next what seven that we're going to be watching are it's going to be iron man 3 thor the dark world captain america the winter soldier guardians of the galaxy guardians of the galaxy volume 2 avengers age of ultron and ant-man so, yes, check those out if you haven't already. We would love for you to follow along. And if you heard any opinions today that you agree with or disagree with, then let us know. Feel free to shoot us a comment on any of our social media. So that's going to be Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We are at Porcelain Peak on all of those. If you want to shoot us an email, you can also do that. It's going to be porcelainpeak at gmail.com. Or you can head over to the website for additional content and you can drop us a line there and that's going to be porcelainpeak.com uh, just to give a little additional plug if you want to get a little bit of a spoiler for what some of the points might be for some later episodes of this particular series we're doing there are some discussions on words for weirdos which is anthony's website that dig into some of his opinions about the marvel movies uh, i would advise to wait and see what he has to say because he is getting to rewatch them again so <laughs> yeah but check that stuff out so there yeah like i said there's going to be additional content on porcelain peak and like john said on words for weirdos and if you want to get a shout out on an episode then drop us a line on any of those social medias or hit us with a five-star review at apple podcasts right and don't forget to rate review share and subscribe so that we know what's working and what's not and so we can keep this ball rolling and we will see you guys next week with avengers april phase two and as always, thank you for listening. Keep it creepy. A Hyperforge Alpha Network production.